Have you ever been ashamed of someone you loved? When I was in high school, I was, or at least I thought I was, way too cool for school than I actually was. And one of the many things that I was most embarrassed about was being dropped off at school by my aunt and uncle uh, in their old minivan. Which is so funny because now that I'm a parent of three kids, I think minivans are so cool, so spacious. Now, I know it's normal here in this area, in the East Coast, for parents to drive kids to school. But in the suburbs of Dallas, where I grew up, it seemed like almost every upperclassman but me drove. If you're Asian, a Honda Accord Civic or Prelude. Or if you're white, a Jeep Wrangler or a truck. And there I was, the junior and senior class president, being dropped off at the parent loop with all the freshmen. And I kid you not, I died every time. I don't know why I was so embarrassed and so angry at my aunt and uncle. At every drop-off and pick-up, I would yell at them, Hurry up! Just drop me off here! Like a mile away from the parent loop. And at pick-up, I would run into the car and yell at them, Go, go, go! So no one could see me. Of course, in reality, no one really cared. I was just an angsty teenager, so ashamed. Now that I have kids on my own, oh my goodness, giving rides to kids, especially in the wintertime when it's freezing outside, what sacrifice parents make. What love my aunt and uncle had for me in giving me rides all those years. But I was so ashamed of them, so ashamed of my situation, so afraid of what people thought. Friends, I wonder if you've ever been ashamed of someone you loved and fearful because of your circumstances. Perhaps it was similar to the way Timothy was ashamed and fearful in the passage we're about to study. We're studying a new series through 2 Timothy titled Faithful to the End. And I pray as we study this soul-searching epistle that we will be challenged to be unashamed to suffer for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're asking why we are studying 2 Timothy again, for those of you who are observant, Pastor Jeremy just preached through this, this book, this epistle, last January, chapter by chapter. Well, I have two reasons. First, as you know, a few months ago, I was coming out of a tough season of health issues and adjusting to transitioning out our pastoral assistant and looking for a new PA and some of the discouraging setbacks through that process. In addition, it was a really busy season for our lay elders with their own work and family responsibilities. And all the while, our church had to move out of the building that we've been meeting in for three plus years and all the different decisions that we had to navigate through in that season. Well, it was during this season last fall I attended the Simeon Trust Workshop with our brother Josh Liu, and we studied this epistle together, 2 Timothy, and I was so challenged and so encouraged to be reminded that Christian ministry is suffering and that the Christian life is suffering. No, I'm not simply talking about existential nihilism, simply accepting that this world is, in fact, dark and hopeless. No, because for Christians, suffering is not the end of the story. We know one who suffered for our sake and abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And that is why even in the most dark and hopeless situation, we have unshakable hope in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? In that crazy season, the words of 2 Timothy breathed life into my soul again. 
encouraged my weary heart greatly in what I was experiencing in life and ministry. That what we experience in this life, the hardships, the challenges, the trials, the difficult news of loved ones and church members, the ups and downs, the sorrows and pain are not unusual. It's normal in this sinful, fallen, and broken world. But for them all, all the challenges, all the trials, through it all, Christ is the answer. Amen? Christ perseveres us. Christ provides the power. Christ compels us to preach the word of hope, the message of life and truth and hope. And so I want to encourage you the same with this deep dive into this epistle. The second reason we are studying this letter is as we look at these smaller passages each week through this sermon series, I want to encourage you to work through the Simeon Trust worksheets, which will be included in our newsletter, so that you can grow in your exegesis, so that you can grow in how to understand and interpret Scripture better as you observe the structure and the emphasis revealed in the passage. As you observe the context, the literary, the historical, cultural, and biblical contexts. As you consider the main point the author is arguing to his audience and to our audience. As you examine how the passage connects to the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you consider what applications you will make from the passage. And as you guess what preaching outline I might preach each Sunday. I want us as a church to grow as better, more faithful, expository listeners of the word. Amen? To give you some context of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is one of the three pastoral epistles that the Apostle Paul writes to encourage his young disciples, Timothy and Titus, regarding the Christian ministry. Whereas 1 Timothy focuses on the organization, the conduct of the church, which includes practical instructions for appointing and overseeing leaders, maintaining proper order in worship, and addresses various issues within the church community, 2 Timothy, however, has an entirely different tone. And that's mainly because the letter is sort of Paul's farewell letter. It's written from a dark and cold and dingy Roman prison around A.D. 67. It was around the time when the Roman emperor Nero had been increasingly descending into madness since he took the throne in A.D. 54. And Christians became Nero's convenient target of persecution as scapegoats to blame for his own lack of preparedness as the emperor. Paul was one of those caught up uh, in this great persecution and would shortly be executed by beheading after writing this letter. Hence, this letter is deeply personal. Because of Paul's multiple imprisonment, Paul recalls how many have turned away from him and deserted him because they were ashamed to be associated with him. So Paul exhorts Timothy to keep the faith, to suffer for the gospel, and to fulfill the ministry. Paul offers himself as a model of faith. But more importantly, Paul points Timothy to Christ, the ultimate example, the power, the guarantor of our faith and salvation. So from our passage, from our text, I want to share with you two truths about faith Christians should cling to in the face of suffering. Two truths about faith Christians, you and I, should cling to in the face of suffering. Here's the outline so you can follow which I believe serves as the main idea of the passage, Paul reminds Timothy of two things. Point number one, the source of sincere faith, verses one through two. The source of sincere faith, verses one through two. And point number two, the heritage of sincere faith, from verses three through five. The source and the heritage. 
Brothers and sisters, I pray earnestly for you that through this word that you would be reminded afresh of the amazing faith you have been gifted by God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you will stand firm in it and not be ashamed of it and worship him more sincerely because of it. Amen? Guests and visitors, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us for our Sunday gathering. If you are here and you do not know yourself to be a Christian, we especially welcome you today. We have been praying for you. We believe that Scripture teaches that God is sovereign, that He is in control of all things. And so we believe that you are here to hear God's Word. We pray that in hearing His Word, you might look to Him in trust. Jesus says, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take courage, for I have overcome the world. We pray that you would look to Him, to this only one in history, Jesus Christ, who has overcome sin, Satan, and death forever in order that you may have new and eternal life. Amen? So without further ado, let's turn to his words found on page 995 of the Blue Bibles around you. And as you turn there, I want to ask you to please keep your Bibles open and reference it often as I read and preach so that you know that this is God's word for you to grow you in knowledge and love for him. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1-5 through 5 says this. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Amen. What truth should Christians know about our faith in seasons of suffering? Point number one, the source of sincere faith. Look with me to verses one and two again. It says this, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. At first glance, these introductory words may seem like a common Pauline greeting found in many of Paul's letters, introducing the author, the recipient, and the standard greeting, which often includes grace and peace. But keep in mind, as we read 2 Timothy, the context of the letter Remember the personal appeal of the epistle. Paul, although cold and alone in the rank Roman prison cell, comforts and exhorts Timothy because Timothy also may have been tempted to be ashamed of Paul who was chained as a criminal and because Timothy may have been tempted to shrink back in fear from continuing in the gospel ministry as alluded to from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7-8. through 8. And so Paul reminds Timothy of the source of of his faith. Paul says he is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul recalls that the sacred office he's been called to as an apostle, an apostle which the scripture teaches are sent out ones commissioned by Jesus himself or eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. Paul says his apostleship was not by his own volition, not by his own choosing, but by the will of God, by the purpose and plan of God. And notice the next phrase according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Remember that Paul was well aware of his impending death. This man was about to die. 
As he says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, the time of my departure has come. But Paul, you see, is not focused on dying. He is not fearful of death. He recalls the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, whether in his own life or whether in his own death. Paul meant to convey the authority and the very purpose of the gospel's truth and hope, the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. From me, from Paul, in whom all I have is in Christ. In verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. We know from Acts 16 that Paul had known Timothy for well over 15 years starting in A.D. 50. Timothy had accompanied Paul on various ministry affairs in Philippi, in Athens, in Corinth, in Ephesus. In A.D. 62, Paul had appointed Timothy as the pastor in the church in Ephesus. Paul considered Timothy as his own spiritual child, according to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 17. Paul had commended Timothy to the Philippian Christians in Philippians 2.24, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Of Timothy's proven worth and how Timothy served Paul as a son to a father regarding the gospel. Hence it was fitting for Paul to call Timothy as his spiritual son, my beloved child. To you, Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In another letter of Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Paul said, For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So in what seemed was a dire and hopeless situation, Paul, with deep affection and love, recalls to mind to Timothy grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The most fundamental Yet the most profound realities of the Christian faith, the most simplest summary, the most powerful truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace, the unmerited, the undeserved gift of forgiveness, assurance of salvation, and guarantee of the abundant and eternal life granted to repenting sinners. Grace, the reason God the Father sent His one and only begotten Son, truly God and truly man, to live, die, and rise again in order that sin, Satan, and death may be conquered forever as the fulfillment of all of Scripture's promises and prophecies. Grace, the reason why we are still alive, you and I are still alive in our mortal bodies today, that we may grow in our sanctification, in our love and faith in Him who is our all in all in life and in death. That's grace. Mercy is a gift of God withholding judgment and punishment from us. Although we are wicked sinners, although we rightly deserve it, absolutely accrued it for ourselves because of our inherent and progressive sin against Him, yet because Jesus died on the cross as our substitute sacrifice and took upon Himself the wrath of God reserved for us, and because He rose again victorious over all sin and all spiritual enemies past, present, and future, once and for all, mercy is the gift that we have received. And peace, how about peace? It's what all men knowingly or unknowingly, restlessly seek, knowing that there is no true lasting peace found here on earth. This wonderful, matchless peace that we just sung about is what true believers of Jesus Christ know, isn't it? The peace between God and man. The peace between man and fellow man. 
and peace within man himself because we've been set free from the bondage of sin and death in Christ Jesus, our Lord, our mediator, and the prince of peace. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the best news you will ever hear and know. Amen? Paul says, God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord has granted you, Timothy, and us as fellow saints, grace, mercy, and peace. Hallelujah. Think about that for a second. God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord has granted you grace and mercy and peace. We can just stop right there. The Lord Jesus Christ has won for you grace, mercy, and peace. Brothers and sisters, may we never forget. May we never make less. May we never take lightly this simple yet powerful gifts of gospel truths. They ought not to be forgotten in days of distress. That grace, mercy, and peace has been granted to us by God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, this letter is a very personal letter from one spiritual father to his spiritual son. But this message is relevant for all believers, for you and me, especially those facing ministry and spiritual challenges. There is consolation and encouragement in the same gifts of God and in the lordship of Jesus Christ that Paul brings to Timothy's attention from the beginning of this letter. Of course, we are not beloved of Paul in the same way Timothy was, but all of us share in the reality, in the fact that we are beloved of God, don't we? And we are involved in the same mission that this letter was preparing Timothy to take to the next stage, if you are a believer and a follower of Christ. As one commentator says, in this respect, everything written to Timothy, every bit of theology, ethical exhortation, and practical advice was written to us as well. We will understand our mission better if we view it in relation to Paul's perspective of his own. We will give ourselves to it far more effectively in the knowledge of God's provision of grace, mercy, and peace for the tasks He has set before us. These opening verses invites us to follow along in this letter of renewal, of encouragement and commission to Timothy, and to find ourselves within it. I pray, brothers and sisters, that this letter, these words will encourage you greatly. Hallelujah. So, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, has life's circumstances made you weary? Has personal failures, fears, guilt, and shame tempted you to shrink back from following Christ and serving His church? Has past church experiences caused you to be cautious about giving yourself fully to the gospel commission at hand? How might the grace, the mercy, and the peace of God in Christ comfort and compel you today to no longer cling to what the enemy seeks to imprison you in. Rather, how might the Lord be calling you to trust in Him, to free you and propel you to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus our Lord? No matter what challenges or sufferings or sorrows that 2024 may bring, this we know is true. And this we know can never be taken away from you and me for those of us who claim to be followers of Christ. The grace, the mercy, the peace of God of our Father and our Savior Jesus Christ in Him are the unshakable, irrevocable source of our faith. Amen? Guests and visitors, if you are here and you know yourself to not be a Christian or you are not sure that you are, I want to tell you grace, mercy, and peace is only available to you in Jesus Christ the Lord. 
Tell me honestly, where can you find such grace, mercy, and peace? Who else in history of humanity offers such wonderful, amazing gifts? The earth knows of no lasting grace, mercy, and peace. The earth knows of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, justice, vengeance, revenge, war, division, tension, and terror is what the world knows. But Jesus offers you grace, mercy, and peace, and we all pray that you would receive them today. Receive it today, grace, mercy, and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is repent. That means to turn from trusting in the things of this world. Believe that Jesus Christ indeed died and rose again for you. And trust Him today with your whole life and tomorrow and the next day. And we will be right there alongside with you. If you want to know more about how you can follow Jesus, the pastors of this church will be happy to talk to you at the close of service by the doors. Or you can talk to somebody smiling next to you. We are eager to share with you how awesome and amazing it is to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen? Point number two, what truths about our faith should Christians remember in seasons of suffering? Point number two, the heritage of sincere faith. Look at verses three through five again. It says this. Look at it very carefully. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Following his greeting to his apprentice, the apostle turns now to gratitude. And what seems to be a long, complex, run-on sentence, as Paul often writes, Paul reminds Timothy of the heritage of his faith that Timothy has been adopted into. Simply, Paul was saying to young Timothy, you are not alone, Timothy. You fall in line with a generation of the faithful who have gone before you, so don't be afraid. Don't feel alone. Don't be ashamed. I love what one commentator explains as the three questions which arise from these verses to help us understand the reason for Paul's thankfulness. So three questions follow along. First, why does Paul give thanks? Second, how are the various phrases in these verses, three and five, how do they relate to each other? And third, what is the function of the thanksgiving prayer within the developing discourse of the whole letter. How does these verses fit into the whole, the rest of the letter? If you didn't catch all that, I'm going to go one by one, so follow along. And these questions are important because if you read the English translation of these verses that we have just read, it might be difficult to grasp the true meaning of what and why Paul is intending to communicate to Timothy. So let me read these verses again, follow along. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. What exactly is Paul saying here? Again, the English translation makes it a bit hard for us to grasp the intended meaning. What's helpful is if you see the three parenthetical phrases, parentheses, Paul inserts in explaining why he is thankful. So in answering the first question, why is Paul thankful? Paul says, I thank God 
with whom I serve with a clear conscience, parentheses, as did my ancestors, parentheses, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night, parentheses, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy, because I remember your sincere faith. To say that more easily, what Paul is saying is, I thank God, parentheses, 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 because I remember your faith. I thank God because I remember your faith. You notice the word remember is repeated three times. It serves as the emphasis. Whenever you see repetitions, you notice that the author is trying to emphasize something. It serves as the emphasis of these verses. It's a key theme in this section woven into the passage with with clever wordplay. Paul is saying, I thank God when I remember you in my prayers, verse 3, when I remember your tears in verse 4, because I remember your sincere faith in verse 5. In remembrance of Timothy's sincere faith, Paul gives thanks to God. That's the sentence. The second question, how do these various phrases then relate to each other? The first two phrases, I remember you in my prayers constantly, night and day. And as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Establish Paul's relationship with and concern for Timothy. So Paul prays for Timothy and is moved by his young co-worker's tears and Paul's prayer and concern forms the basis for the exhortation that will follow. Paul's thinking here is complex, but it's very purposeful. In remembering Timothy's faith, Paul desires that Timothy might remember the heritage of his faith. Which leads us to that third question. How does this Thanksgiving prayer function within the broader letter? Again, simply, Paul is praying for Timothy by reminding Timothy that what is true of Paul, faithfulness in accordance with the spiritual heritage, as did his ancestors, is also true of Timothy, true faith in accordance to his spiritual heritage, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Paul is saying, what is true of me? is also true of you. You also have a heritage. Paul's final statement in verse 5, and I am sure now dwells in you as well, is an affirmation. It's a stamp of approval and reminder. In fact, it is the repetition of the affirmation about Timothy's faith just made by Paul. I am reminded of your sincere faith, and again, I am sure it dwells in you. It's a double affirmation. In this double affirmation, Paul is reminding and warning Timothy, who may be in danger of betraying his heritage because of his fear, because of his shame of Paul, just like everyone else did. And so to Paul and to his grandmother Lois and Eunice, his mother, Paul is warning and cautioning and encouraging Timothy, don't shrink back. I know the true faith, the sincere faith that is in you. Paul's confidence in Timothy's sincere faith is not something Timothy was to accept passively or casually. Timothy must rather prove his faith and Paul's confidence in the tasks that lie ahead. The first of which involves a very personal return to spiritual empowerment. Be encouraged, Timothy, as I remind you of the spiritual heritage that is in you. Be encouraged which will charge Timothy in verse 7 and 8. If you look at 7 and 8 in chapter 1, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. 
You see, Paul's thanksgiving prayer then is the basis for his appeal to Timothy in which Paul intends to supply Timothy encouragement by praying for him and affirming his faith, by warning him there is a heritage that requires your loyalty and a confidence which must be validated by the way Timothy responds. So brothers and sisters, I want to ask you the question, how will you respond in the face of pressures, persecution, and challenges? Will you abandon your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ when hardships come your way, when sicknesses and illnesses tarry, when difficulties at work linger on, when relational hardships rob you of joy and peace, when personal failures and sins maim your worship, when sin riddles you with shame and guilt, will you turn away from God? Will you turn your back from your spiritual heritage? Will you close your heart toward your fellow church members? Or will you remember the source of your faith and the heritage of your faith? That you are not alone. That grace Mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord has been granted to you according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will you remember that sufferings of this life are the norm? Will you remember that sufferings of this earth are temporary? Will you remember that in Christ Jesus there is joy and hope in the midst of suffering? Will you rise up and stand firm in the days of your testing? Will you stand in arms with your fellow brothers and sisters through difficult transitions in your personal lives and in our corporate life together? How might you do this better in year 2024? Brothers and sisters, our church has gone through some difficult challenges these past months of transitions. But are they challenges, really? Sure, we had to think about various procedural details, meeting in five different locations in eight different weeks, where to store our stuff, some of us having to bring a bag of two Bibles to church every Sunday, every week, some of us having to show up an hour early to set up chairs, some of us having to stay a little late to help clean up chairs, parents adjusting to nap time for your children to bring them to church in the afternoon, members missing sitting in the service one of every six to seven weeks so that parents can be encouraged. So while you volunteer for children's ministry, Members checking in and pursuing struggling brothers and sisters, praying for and holding one another accountable, encouraging one another in the word through discipling relationships. Wait a minute. These things are hard, but they actually sound like normal Christian things, doesn't it? Normal Christian things that Christians have been called to, that Christians for generations have gone through for over thousands of years in persecution and in assaults in rain or snow, in the freezing cold or the heat. True Christians are perseverers, amen? True Christians are committed to one another, amen? True Christians show up and show out. True Christians suffer for the gospel. True Christians are not ashamed. True Christians proclaim the grace, mercy, and peace of Christ until our dying breath. True Christians do not marginalize their faith to leftover time. True Christians prioritize the mission of Christ to the front, center, and the top. True Christians fight and kill sin with all their might and repent like crazy if they fall into sin because they know they fall on grace, on mercy, and peace of Christ and worship God all right. True Christians stand for one another no matter what. True Christians cling to the promise of Christ day in and day out. Amen? Dear beloved NCBC family, in seasons of suffering, 
Please don't forget. May we remind each other the source of our sincere faith, the heritage of our sincere faith. Grace, mercy, and peace has been given to you. Generations of believers who have gone before you, who have persevered and endured by grace, by mercy, by the peace of Jesus Christ our Lord, has made it home to that final day. And I want to encourage you through the words of Paul to young Timothy, we also can persevere in Christ Jesus our Lord by His grace, by His mercy, by His peace. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder that in Christ Jesus there is grace, mercy, and peace for those of us who would look to you and trust in you in faith. Father, in this world of wars and tensions and divisions, there is no unshakable peace. There is no unshakable hope. Father, it's true that we often grow weary in our faith fight. Father, it is true that we become discouraged. Father, little things of life take so much precedence and priority in our lives. But Father, what a reminder in 2024 to look to you, to remember the source, the unstoppable source, the eternal source of life and mercy and grace and peace that is available to us all who claim and profess faith in you. And Father, what a heritage we have of brothers and sisters who have endured so much hardship and persecution before us and even today all around the world who are suffering even more. Father, what a reminder that is that we can stand firm today, right now, in this moment to praise you as the King of kings and Lord of lords. May we never forget that this year. And if we do, may we remind one another daily, constantly, weekly by our passionate, humble, transparent accountability and corporate gathering of this church. We love you. We thank you for this privilege to be your people and the gift of salvation and faith and hope that you have given to us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.